all of us have passions for something. Me personally, I have a passion for Jesus, obviously. Hopefully most of us in the room do. I have a passion for music, which makes uh, worship leading really uh, a good thing, I guess. And I have a passion for my family. I love my family, and I also have a passion for big mugs. I love holding a big mug. It just doesn't, anyone with me, it just brings you comfort to just hold your mug with whatever you have in there, coffee or tea, or I'm drinking water today just so I can keep speaking to you all. But I love a good mug. I don't understand people who can drink out of these tiny little eight-ounce mugs. How many times do you have to go back to the coffee pot or get a refill? Just get yourself a big mug. Call it good. It's awesome. Another thing about my mugs is I only have specific mugs that I will drink out of. I guess you can call it one of my OCD behaviors, but if you go into the cupboard, there are only specific mugs that I will use. They have to be a specific size, and they have to have some sort of sentimental meaning to me. So it's, I've got a couple mugs that have been given to me as gifts. I have my grandfather's uh, Linden Police Department mug that he used for years when he was a star here in Linden. And I have, my favorite is probably my Eeyore mug. I love my big, fat Eeyore mug. So the other thing about my mugs, and I hope some of you are with me on this, because then I'd be really weird, but you've got your at-home mugs, and then you have your at-work mug. And you don't cross those two. You don't take your work mug home, and you don't take your home mugs to work. Then there might be some of you who have, like, 15 mugs in your car that go from home to work and back, I've never had that problem. But about six months ago, I lost my mug here at church. It was miraculously found just a few days ago. But for six months, I didn't have my mug, and it was driving me crazy. So a few months ago, we went on our mission trip to Mexico, and we had a great time. We did lots of amazing work. And then at the end of that, we did a much well-deserved Disneyland day. And I thought, you know, when we're in Disneyland, I'm going to go get myself a new work mug. And so we spent the whole day in Disneyland, and throughout the day I kept going into stores being like, no, I don't really like that one, or I kind of already have one like that. I would usually be drawn to like something more nostalgic, some old Mickey or something like that, but nothing was speaking to me until about the end of the day we went into a store, and I thought, all right, I'm going to go look, see if I can find a mug. And from across the room I saw one mug. It wasn't in a collection of all the same. There was only one of them. And from far away, I said, that's it right there. That's the one that I want. And this is the mug that I grabbed. And I'm going to tell you why I grabbed this mug. Because going through planning a mission trip is a lot of work. Going and deciding where you're going to go, who you're going to go with, sending out all these registration forms, getting people signed up, going through parent meetings, going through student meetings, buying 26 airplane tickets, getting hotel rooms, going through fundraisers, all of these things. It is so much work. And in the end, you say, that was worth it. It was worth it to go. And so when I saw this mug from the sword in the stone, you got Archimedes the owl and Merlin and and little Arthur here, I thought, I want that mug. And it's not because of what's on it. It's what's written inside it. And it's this quote from the song. It says, it's up to you how far you'll go. If you don't try, you'll never know. I thought, that's it. Because not only does that sum up the whole trip we took to Mexico, it sums up our life. It sums up our lives as Christians. It sums up our lives with what we do for work, what we do with our families. 
It's just a great reminder. So that's why I'm carrying my mug today. You know, this quote reminds me a lot of something Bree said in her testimony. She said, trying new things seems scary. We must rely on being caught if we fall. And I think that's a great reminder this morning, too. It's a great reminder to challenge ourselves, right? It's up to us how far we go. If we don't try, we'll never know what God can truly do through us. Something that I love about our church, I love being on staff here, because anytime I get some kind of crazy idea, I say, Kurt, what do you think about this? He says, sounds great, do it. And that's really scary. And I'm like, wait, sometimes I just wish you'd be like, no, don't do that. And then I can just go back to work. But he always says, no, if you, if you feel like you need to do that, you go and do that. And he said that to me a couple of years ago when we started our combat school of worship, which is the only reason that all these kids were up here blowing us away with their talent today and serving Jesus. It's the only reason that we started having a Christmas concert where I thought it would be great if we could just have a night of fun and throw together some great songs. And Kurt said, great, let's do that. And we're raising thousands of dollars to help during our Christmas gift every Christmas. And we're having a lot of fun at our Christmas concerts. It's also the only reason that I can stand on this stage today because I got a C in speech my high school career And the first time I ever stepped on the stage to play the piano, I almost threw up all over the piano. So I won't do that today, I promise. (laughs) But where I'm going with all this is that we serve a big God. He is big. And when we get an idea, God can do things through that idea. So today I'm going to take kind of this story, and we're going to do a character study today on the book of Esther. So if you read through your reading guide this week, you'll see that we read through the whole book of Esther. For those of you who have not read through it, I will kind of give us a crash course through Esther today. Now, one thing about the book of Esther that people sometimes complain about is why is it in the Bible? It never mentions the name of God. And while that might be true, I want us to know today before we go through the story that there is a whole lot of God in the book of Esther. We see it everywhere from the beginning to the end that God has his hand on the whole situation. He has his hand over Esther as she makes important decisions. He has his hand as she helps redeem all of his people. So today I will take us kind of through a crash course, all right? So we're going to start with King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes was the king of Susa. He loved to party. He would have these elaborate parties and invite all of the important people in and, you know, give them lots of wine and lots of food, and they would have fun. Well, one night, he had a little too much to drink, and in his poor decision-making, he said, I want Queen Vashti, my wife, to come in, all adorned in her jewels and her crown, and I want her to show herself off. Now, some commentators will tell you that he ordered that she come in nothing but her crown. And, of course, Queen Vashti thought, well, that's inappropriate. No, I won't do that. So she decided, no, I'm not. I won't come and parade myself for your friends. And this made the king very mad. So he sent her away, and she was banished from the kingdom. Now, the king kind of came to his senses and thought, well, now I don't have a wife, so i got to get myself a new one. So he sent out orders all over town and said, I want all of the girls to come in and go through a year's worth of beauty treatments. And then after a year of their beauty treatments, I will decide which one I want for my new wife. Now, one of these ladies was Esther. Now, Esther was an orphan and was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai took very good care of her. 
He took her to the palace and he stayed close by that whole year as she did her beauty treatments. And the king chose her to be his new queen. And yes, Mordecai stayed in close communication with Esther. He always stayed by the palace walls to make sure she was okay. And in doing this, he actually got hired on as a palace official. And while he was a palace official, he overheard an assassination plot that was being made and was able to actually save the king from being assassinated. One thing about this story that we're going through is we've got, you know, our typical king, we got our queen, we've got our good guy, we've got our bad guy, but we don't have the damsel in distress because the damsel is the one who's going to save the day. So a little bit of girl power for us girls out there. Sometimes girls can do good things too. So the bad guy in our story is this guy named Haman. He was a very, very rotten guy and decided that he wanted all the Jews in Susa to be killed. And so he goes to the king and says, hey, I'd like uh, all the Jews in Susa to die on March 7. Are you okay with that? And the king's like, sure, that's fine. He wasn't very bright. <laughs> Mordecai overheard about this and went to Queen Esther and said, here's the plan. And this is where we start our story today. Chapter 4, verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. So Esther decided, okay, I'll go to the king which this could have been really bad news because back then you could not approach the king without his permission. If you did and he did not extend his royal scepter and say it was okay, you would be put to death. And so even though Esther was the queen, she could have been put to death by her husband if he did not want her in the room at the time. So she took this and we read in 4 verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So Esther threw on her crown and went to see her husband. Chapter 5, verse 1 starts like this. On the third day of the fast, Esther went and put her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out his gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Now, Esther, I think by this time, knew her husband was a little odd. And so she thought, well, I know you well enough to know I should throw you a couple banquets, wine and dine you before I ask you not to kill all of my relatives. So she throws him a couple banquets. And then the second banquet, he says, tell me what you want. She says, okay, well, Haman is planning on killing all of my relatives and all the Jews, which would include me. And I kind of don't like that. So can we just get rid of that? And he says, yeah, that's fine. That's what you want. We won't do that. And she says, oh, and by the way, 
Haman has set up a 75-foot pole and is planning on impaling my cousin Mordecai on it. Can we just, like, put Haman on there instead? He's like, sure. So Haman was impaled. It's a great soap opera-type drama, nice and clean for today, this beautiful Sunday. So there was still a war on March 7, which was the day that Haman wanted everyone to die. But the Jews were able to defend themselves, and they defeated those who planned on attacking them. And up to this day, the Jews celebrate Purim on March 9 and 10, which commemorates their defeat over Haman and um, all the people that wanted them dead. So before we go into how this applies to us today. I want us to know for certain that our king of kings is nothing like this king in this story. This guy obviously had a drinking problem. He didn't treat his women very well, and he had really bad taste in advisors. So what we do want to see today is how, how Esther approached her king. And that brings us to our first point today. We should approach the throne with confidence. That's how Esther approached the throne. That's how she went in to the royal court and met with her husband. She had confidence. We must approach our throne, or the throne of our God with confidence. Confidence that God has placed us where we are for such a time as this. That's what Mordecai said to Esther in 4.14. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. We must approach the throne of our king knowing he has a plan for us because we are not useless human beings. We are here for a purpose. We are here to be used every single day that we are given for such a time as this. Right now, today. We should have that thought for such a time as this written somewhere where we can see it every day to remind ourselves to be used in some way by our God. It's a good reminder for some of us as we spend an entire day binge-watching Netflix shows that maybe we're not being used in that moment. We should always be looking for opportunities. We should always remember that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we should not take that lightly. This is our time to show the reign of our Father God and what he can do. So do the thing. Do the thing that's been on your heart. Take the risk. Don't fear what God can do. We have a king. Our Father is the God of the universe. Now, when we really think about that, when we remember that our Father has created everything that's in existence all the way to the ends of the earth and beyond into the universe, you study how many stars there are, how many suns there are, how many galaxies there are. They have all been created by our Father God. He shaped us along with all of that. We have a king, this creator of the universe has a throne room with an open door, and we are invited in. We're invited in to plead, to plead our case, to pray, to ask. We're invited in to worship him, for he is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. And we're invited in just to be with him, to be in his presence, to have community and spend time with him. 
It's a great reminder that he could easily crush us like a bug. But instead, he holds out his royal scepter to us and invites us to come in and just be with him. In my house, and people that know me well, know me as kind of a crazy bird lady. Do we have any other like self-proclaimed crazy bird ladies? Maybe some crazy cat ladies? Yeah, there's a few more crazy cat ladies than crazy bird ladies. I am a crazy bird lady. I've had birds my entire life. I was raised with parakeets and cockatiels, and I even had a talking parrot growing up. If you ever saw a 12-year-old riding her bike downtown with a parrot on the middle of her bike, that was me. Please tell me nobody saw that. <laughs> but about 15 years ago, Matthew called me and he said, uh, Becky, I'd like to get you a present. Can I buy you a present? And I said, yes, as long as it's not breathing. And so he ended up bringing me this lovely little Francis. This is the love of my life. Okay, Maddie, you're the love of my life. This is the little love of my life. Now, I've got ducks and I have chickens, but I spend every morning with Francis. He's 15 years old, and he is my best friend. We do everything together. So we eat breakfast together every morning. He he loves eggs and he loves carbs. We do puzzles together. (laughs) Now, as cute as this is, he's actually eating the puzzle. (laughs) I I was doing this puzzle and I stepped away for about an hour and came back and he had demolished a whole corner of it. But it's cute. (laughs) He helps me work. So whenever I'm working or playing the piano, he likes to hang out with me. So there he is as I'm working on planning center, working with worship teams. The thing is, is this little two-ounce caged bird loves spending time with me. So our morning routine, I get up, I take a blanket off of his cage, and I go to get my coffee, and I open the door to his cage. And I go and I sit in my favorite chair with my nice big mug, And I open my Bible, and I wait about 30 seconds, and Francis will fly over to me. And every morning, he'll come, and he'll curl himself up right underneath my neck and go back to sleep. This little bird has no problem approaching me. He has complete confidence in approaching me, wanting to be close to me, wanting to just spend time resting in my hand. He has no fear that with just the tiniest little bit of strength, I could crush every bone in his tiny little body. But he doesn't live his life in that fear. He flies out of his cage. He comes over to me, and we spend time together. This is also true when we live a life of true worship. We have two choices. We can stay caged up, living in fear of what God could really do, if we completely gave ourselves to him, or we can fly. We can dare to open our mouth. We can dare to be loud until God opens the door, and then we can get out of there and we can soar with him, spending time curled up in the hands of our Savior. Like Esther, we can go through the open door. We know that God will do whatever pleases him. And when we put our faith and our trust in what he will do, and we believe that he is good all the time, oh boy, can we rest in him like never before. (laughs) This also helps us to be able to live out our true destiny for the kingdom of God. 
to live out our God-given time to save the perishing, to fight against evil, to plead our case before the king, to reveal our true beauty in our confidence. I tell you, if we had the amount of confidence that Esther did when she walked into that throne room, maybe we can go and swing open the doors of the government and say, stop allowing the murder of our unborn children. Maybe we can go and swing open the doors of our schools and say we need prayer in our schools again. Maybe we can go into some of these churches that are not teaching biblical truths and show them the word of God. Bring the word of God back into our churches. Maybe we can go to the persecuted Christians around the world and do our part to save them. We can go to the government and say stop oppressing my brothers and sisters for their faith. Guys, we need to put on our crown and get our hands a little dirty and fight. Do you not know who my father is? Do you not know what my God can do? Oh boy, if we had some more confidence. The second way that Esther approached the throne was through fasting and prayer. She said to Mordecai in verse 16, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Now, fasting is something we don't do as often these days as they did back in Bible times. I think that's something that we could change in our, in our lifestyle because fasting is a great way to deny ourselves of something that the flesh needs in order to glorify God. It's a great way to stop eating or drinking or sometimes even sleeping in order to ask and plead with God for something, whether it's for healing or restoration or an important decision that we have to make. It's a great way to remind ourselves of our true need for our Savior by denying ourselves of some of those basic human needs. Fasting also goes very well with prayer. The more that we fast, the more it draws us into praying and spending time with God. This last June, when we were in Mexico, we had the opportunity to go to the border wall. Now, there's a lot of fighting and bickering over this whole border situation right now. And when we got there, it started. Oh, I don't like this. So this is bad. Or you're right. No, you're wrong. No, we need to do this. No, we need to do this. And instead, our leader said, let's just stop. Let's get on our knees. Let's join hands. And let's pray. Let's pray for Mexico. Let's pray for Central America. Let's pray for all of these people who are so oppressed by their government that they don't know what to do. So they start heading north. This is a great reminder that we need to pray that the grass will be greener where those people are. And in doing that, we pray that better people will come in and take over the government and start taking care of their people will stop oppressing their people. And instead of us bickering and fighting over who's right and who's wrong, we need to get on our knees and pray. Pray that people will come in. Pray, God, punish those in office who are oppressing their people and bring people in who can take care of them the way that you want them to. Can we fast and pray as Esther's people did as she prepared to enter the throne room? Can we fast and pray that someone will have their foot in the door Someone that has the courage to step in and change what's been broken. So we fast, we pray, and we fight. 
and we worship and we enter the throne room. We sing out against evil and we ask God to put evil in its place. The third way that God wants us to approach the throne is in surrender. Because it's an honor to get to surrender our lives for the one who sacrificed his life for us. And what an honor it would be to take that ultimate type of surrender and give your life for Jesus Christ. God offers us salvation. He offers us grace and mercy. But he never promised that the cross would not be heavy. He never promised that we would get all of these amazing victories without a fight, without a battle. He never said that it was going to be easy. But he does promise to walk alongside us, to give us the strength that we need, and to never leave us. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 3 verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Our problem is we spend too much time living in fear. We spend time living in fear of discomfort. You know, that's why we don't pray for patience, right? We know if we pray for patience that God's going to have something happen to us so we can use that patience. So we say, well, just, I don't need patience. Just keep that away from me. We have fear of being rejected. That's why we don't join community. That's why we stay away from our family. That's why we, we don't join that new friend group or we don't pursue love because we're so afraid of rejection. One of the main problems in our culture these days is the fear of offending people. We see this everywhere. Everyone's offended these days. And we need to remember that when we speak out biblical truth, and when we're speaking out the word of God and what it says, it's not us offending people, it's them being offended. And there's a big difference between those things. And we should not be afraid to speak out truth. We cannot be responsible for the way people get offended. We, get, we have a serious problem with a fear of failure. I had serious fears when I was starting combat school of worship because Satan would tap at my head and be like, no one will sign up for that. No one wants to learn from you. When I planned the Christmas concert, no one's going to come to the Christmas concert. That's stupid. You know, when we might plan, help plan the Mexico trip, no one wants to go to Mexico with you. Even the first time I ever wrote a song, I had this fear of, I don't want to sing this for anybody. Someone might think it's dumb. You know, we have these fears, these fears of failing. We spend so much time, though, focused on our fears that we forget that we're not only approaching the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we are approaching the throne of our Father, our Abba Father, our Dad. And when we're worried about Him crushing every bone in our body, we should be crawling up onto His lap, letting Him, us, letting him envelop us in His love. That's what He wants. He just wants time with us. He is a good God. 
We are privileged to be his sons and his daughters. And it's because of that that we can do the fourth point that I have today, and that's to approach the throne with boldness. In chapter 5, verse 1, Esther said, or Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Now, what do we know from what we've studied about Esther today? We know that she came confident. She had confidence that she could do this. She didn't give it to someone else to do. She took this on herself. She came in her best. She threw on her royal robes. She put a crown on her head, and she went in there meaning business. She came expecting the best, even though she said, if I must die, I must die. She came expecting to be able to get what they needed. She came fearless. She didn't double think this, even though she had people fast and pray for her. She was fearless when she waltzed in there. And she came expecting to be heard. Even though she had to wine and dine her king first, which we don't need to do. She came expecting to be heard. I love Hebrews 4 verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You know, we began today, my first point, we began today with confidence. And we end today with boldness. And these two things go so great together. Because we can believe with confidence what God can do in us and through us if we have the boldness to just approach the throne and ask. There's great scriptures to go behind this. Like Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Micah 7, 7 says, As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently. For God to save me and my God will certainly hear me Ephesians 3:12. because of Christ and our faith in him we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence he is a good God he gives us the boldness that we need to approach him I took this photo the morning we got back from Mexico I unwrapped my brand new mug Filled it with some coffee. I opened the door to Francis's cage and I went and sat in my chair. About a minute later, he came and he just curled up right between my hand and my mug. And I just sat there thinking, oh, how awesome it is to rest, to rest in the hands of one who loves you so much. And as I thought about our trip and all the amazing things that we had encountered, all the awesome work that we got to do for the kingdom, 
from holding orphans to painting. I once again looked at this quote. It's up to you how far you'll go. If you don't try, you'll never know. And it once again reminded me that we need to leap out of our cage and approach our God. So how, how do we need to change how we are approaching God? How do we need to change how we're approaching God through prayer, through our prayer life? How do we need to change how we're approaching God in our quiet time? Can we go deeper? How can we approach God better with our frustrations and our anxieties and our fears and all these things that we deal with? We learn, we need to learn how to approach God better. And then we can live out our destiny here on earth as his beloved children, whether it's in serving locally in the church or overseas or in your family or in your workplace and proclaiming who our father is with boldness and confidence about how good he is. We're going to go through communion this morning. This is a great way to remember how God wants us to approach him, how he wants us to approach the throne. So as we get ready for communion, I want to end with Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22. This is a call to persevere. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Our Jesus, our Savior, left his throne. He walked out of that throne room and he approached the cross. And he did this so that we could come and meet with him in his presence. We can approach him in confidence through prayer in the ultimate surrender and with boldness. He is our king. He is our savior and we are his. So today we're going to take communion and I want you guys to listen to the words of this song as you come forward. We have tables here in the back, tables up front. Grab your communion and rest in this song today.